0: Hi, friends. I'm Rob Teigen.
1: And I'm Joanna. And this is the Growing Home Together podcast.
0: We're caring for the soul of your family, helping you grow closer to God
1: and each other.
0: Hi, friends. Thank you for joining us today at the Growing Home Together podcast. If you and I sat down to write a list of words describing the kids in our lives over the past year and a half, we might come up with words like stress, bored, lonely, depressed, Anxious, disappointed, and unmotivated. Our kids have been through a lot, and it has taken a toll on their emotions and their relationships. We wonder how we can, as parents, uh, take our kids and place them in a mature state to become confident and joyful people again.
1: That's right, and that is why we are so excited to welcome Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi back to the show to share their amazing strategy for raising joy-filled kids at every age and stage. Marcus and Chris are the authors of The Four Habits of Raising Joy-Filled Kids that gives moms and dads some fresh hope and practical principles to invest in our families today. So thank you so much, Marcus and Chris, for coming back to join us today.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you.
0: So, Joanna can tell you from uh, my crowded bookshelves uh, that I've built quite a big library of parenting and marriage books. Um, that uh, it's it's a little crazy, but anyway, your book, um, "The Four Habits of Joy Filled Kids," is a real standout. So, what sets your book apart from all the other books on parenting?
3: You know, that's a great question. We have a uh, um, start with the thesis that God created um, families for joy. Mm. That uh, If you think about it, God created the world because he wanted a family and he wanted a family that was going to be happy to be together. They were going to uh, happy to be with him, uh, happy to be with each other. we were going to love, love each other. And yet uh, so often what we find is that uh, families seem to be more about survival than joy to the extent that people feel like joy is the icing on the cake, rather than uh, the fuel on which the family runs. So we're trying to change the paradigm here. And that is that uh, rather than looking at joy that as something that randomly happens now and then, and we don't know why, looking at joy as actually the fuel that makes the family work, and that there are strategies that you can use to make sure that that fuel stays, you know, flowing throughout our, our family life.
2: That's right. You know, Marcus and I often say when we're speaking on, on our books is really, you know, joy is not a luxury item on the menu. You know, joy is actually foundational to both who we are in Christ, as well as, you know, in our families and our communities, like joy should be foundational in our relationships. And, and we define joy as just, we're glad to be together. So we should be a people who are not only glad to be together, but we, get back to joy when things go wrong uh, during the hard stuff that joy is just foundational uh for our well-being for our walk with Christ as well as just in our relationships and our families mm-hmm.
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense um you know for me watching my kids struggle and really lose a lot of their joy over the past year and a half really hurt my heart as their mom I mean we had a couple kids who lost their jobs and they were going broke and we had kids who were feeling pretty lonely and isolated and we've had um, a couple of our kids who've had to deal with some pretty real mental health issues without easy solutions and if I have ever been aware of my limits as a mom it's been in this season and with that has come I think a fair amount of fear because I can't be everything that I want to be for my kids and I can't protect them from pain. And I want to help my kids take up joy, but I don't always know how. And we were hoping that you could kind of help us understand some of those common fears that parents need to overcome.
3: Yeah, that's great um, observation because we have mentioned in another interview, if, if joy is missing, fear will always fill the gap. You know, it's like if, if there's a vacuum and, and joy come, leaves, fear will, will backfill. And for parents, it's really easy to feel like their job is to protect their kids from pain and to make sure that they never go through anything hard or to think that as a parent, I don't want to feel pain and I don't want to go through anything hard. But it's not realistic, right? We're going to experience pain like you're describing, where you come to your limits, and when you come to your limits and you don't know how in the world you're going to get through that, that's hopeless despair. It's like, I don't have a solution for this. Is it possible to feel hopeless despair and still live with joy? Right On the surface, it feels like, no, it's got to be one or the other, but we would say that actually both can be going on at the same time. That in those moments when I am struggling with fear, in those moments when I'm struggling with despair, in those moments when i most in need of things, what I really need is somebody who's happy to be with me, that I can share this moment with, who can help to restore my joy. And it allows me to know I'm going to be okay, even though all this is going on. So if, uh, you know, you're going through all this with your kids, and you've also got problems with Rob, then it becomes it, it just magnifies. But if you and Robert are happy to be together, if there's joy there, then what happens is, is it becomes easier to handle the things going on in your kid's life. In the same way, we can't protect our kids from all of the negative emotions in life. What we're really trying to do is lay a foundation for them to be able to handle those hard things and recover, right? So, and that's, that's the goal here. It's not to bubble wrap our kids so that they never experience anything bad. It's more like building their emotional immune system so that they can fight off the stuff that's in there so that it doesn't end up robbing their joy in living. That's I right.
2: That. And, and I can remember when my wife, Jen, had our firstborn son in the hospital. I can remember the day looking at him and thinking, wow, I am responsible for this child. And, you know, my job is to, you know, be a good father for this, for this boy. And I can remember the fear of failure, like, wow, I want to give my children more than I had, but I could remember just the fear that I was just going to mess up. And this is why, what Marcus is saying about joy is so important that we are going to mess up. And the goal is when we do mess up, we get really good at rebuilding and repairing. Uh, But I think a lot of parents feel that, that, that pressure that weight that wow I have to do this and we out of the fear of failure for example we try to overparent and maybe we work too hard and or we just you know don't work hard enough maybe we underparent and that fear can really rob us and so we hope with this book that that parents will actually find some hope and find some encouragement and really find a language that, you know what, parenting is hard. It is scary um, for lots of reasons, that as we actually focus on building joy, whether we're mad, glad, sad, hopeless, whatever the conditions are, we can learn to hold on to joy and return to relational glad to be together joy. And that actually gives us strength. And just, just yesterday, I was interacting with my sons and um. I just had a great discussion with my, one of my sons and he said, daddy, you're doing a good job. Oh, <laughs> and, and it surprised me. It's kind of out of left field, but it, it was life giving to hear that from my little boy. Cause you know, there's a lot of times as parents, we just feel like, we just see that we're messing up and, and what Marcus and I want to do is really validate, you know, parents. That, yes. Parenting is hard, but you're doing a good job and learning to build joy, learning to have this language uh, really does make a big difference in our families. And it's an important message for every parent to hear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I love that you started kind of giving that example of when your child's born, because that Mm -hmm. is a perfect example of how you kind of hold the weight of, of -hmm. the responsibility and the joy at the same time, you know? And, yeah. uh, so I like that one thing that really grabbed my interest in the book was how you connect joy to maturity in our kids. Can you explain a little bit about the connection, uh, between those, those terms?
3: Yeah, we actually uh, would define maturity as the ability to endure hardship. Well, okay. So the question then becomes, well, what do you mean by well? <laughs> And largely, the ability to endure hardship well means I can go through hard things and still get and still live with joy. I can still find things to enjoy in life. I can still enjoy being with people. Um, I can still go through through this. If you don't, uh, my my capacity to endure hardship well is directly related to my capacity for joy. And so, if uh, if I am find it easy to connect with people relationally. Um, And I'm not talking about introvert, extrovert here. Introvert, extrovert, I think is just a matter of how many people I connect with simultaneously. (laughs) But the, uh, uh, you know, introverts are very relationally motivated. They love being, but they tend to like to be with one or two people, not with a whole crowd. And in the same way, we're looking at that. We're all looking for ways to handle life. Um, And one way, to put it in concrete terms, trauma can be defined as feeling all alone in your big overwhelming emotions so when if you've got to go through something hard and you feel all alone in it in it your emotions escalate and uh if you uh in fact you can go through suffering and if you know somebody's happy to be with you as you're going through the suffering and you're all happy to be together that suffering doesn't necessarily become traumatic but if you uh if you go through suffering and there's no one to share it with you, and there's no, no one to bring you joy, there's no one to go through this and you're happy to be together, <clears throat> then that, that's when suffering becomes traumatizing. So this is they're very closely connected. Um, you can put the idea together that if you think about your maturity as a balloon, then joy is the air inside that balloon. Or if your, maturity is a ball, uh, the air inside the ball that makes, allows it to bounce and bounce back is joy. And they're, so they're directly related.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right, and and I'll even add a third picture. Uh, and just yesterday, I transplanted some plants in our home that were outgrowing the their pot. So I bought, um, found a big bag of this organic soil and some larger pots, and I was just transplanting these plants. They just they outgrew their their previous home, we might say, and so I put them in a bigger pot and put a lot of this nutrient rich soil. Uh, And I watered the plant and I put it in a great spot on the counter with a window where the sunlight comes in. And so what Marcus is saying is really important here, that joy is that air in that ball, or it's even the nutrients in the soil that help good things to grow. And so in the book, we just start to really tease these these things out with the different stages of maturity. What would it look like to have joy at these different stages but the biggest you know from a from a taking a step back looking at all of this right here we're really saying joy is foundational to reaching our full potential so joy is a relationship where we are glad to be together and this is in our families we're glad to be together we return to being glad to be together when there's disruptions and conflicts and we even have a god who's glad to be with his children so this is a this is a topic That really is life-giving for families to start to both embrace and talk about and work toward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I know everybody's heard the old saying that parenting doesn't come with an instruction manual, but you are totally proving that wrong because you have Mm -hmm. created a mini manual for us that offers this simple model that is proving to be quite effective for the parents who use it. So can you just lay out for us what that model is?
3: Uh, certainly, the uh, the models A B C D try to make it easy to remember, right? <laughs> and it uh, basically the um, A B C D represent four habits that go from the right brain over to the left brain in terms of their primary area of function. And so, A is attuned, and the idea of attunement is to read body language. And so, I attune to you by reading. Uh, your voice because we can't see each other. (laughs) So I've got to kind of read your voice and determine, you know, interest that way. That's attuning. Um, Parents have to learn to see their kids and recognize where they're at and meet them where they're at. Too often, this gets reversed in parenting. And that is we expect our kids to attune to us. Like we walk in the room and we expect them to notice what mood I'm in and adjust to that. Instead of recognizing, though as the adult, it's my job to attune to where they're at and start there. So that's A. B is build bounce. And that is, let's let's stay relationally engaged with them as they recover from hard emotions. And that is too often, um, we kind of send kids off and say, go to your room until you're over this emotion. And and we give them non-relational ways to deal with their emotional problems. So building bounce is about remaining relationally engaged as they recover from their, from their big emotions until they become more manageable. Then C is correct with care and correcting with care basically means you don't start with the problem. You start with a tuning and building bounce before you get into all the things you do to correct, you know, uh, and discipline kids. And then the D is develop disciplines relationally. So again, this is as as simple as the difference between saying, go out and weed the garden and taking them out and showing them how to weed the garden (laughs) and uh, turning it into a bonding experience. So you want to pass, the more skills that kids develop, the more disciplines they develop, the more freedom that they have in life, the more opportunities there are in front of them. So we want our kids to have lots of skills, lots of disciplines, and we want to take advantage of those to build them relationally so that our bond with our kids uh, gets as strong
2: as possible. So that's the core model, the ABCD. And, you know, what's good about this model is it's is it's really teaching parents to keep the relationship first. Um, I think every loving parent wants their children to be relational, joyful, resilient kids. And uh, we now know from lots of good studies that resiliency is like the, the ingredient that makes, um, you know, a human really blossom in terms of how the brain works as God designed it to. And so with what um, what we're after here with ABCD is really you know training our children to be able to hold on to joy to remember who they are and to learn to recover when things go wrong and it's helpful to just hold on to the fact that god made our the human brain to learn by example and model so children actually don't learn from our words they learn most from our examples And so what Marcus is talking about with attuning and building balance and correcting with care and developing disciplines relationally is we're demonstrating the behavior we want our children to have as they get older. So we're sharing their upset so they feel connected. We're showing them how to recover when things go wrong. We're teaching them, um, we correct them so that the relationships stay bigger than the problem. And then we're teaching these Uh, disciplines relationally, and so that they're learning what we model. And largely that happens by our love, by our example, by our glad to be with them and by walking through the hard stuff together. Uh, The human brain, when the moment I feel alone, that creates the toughest conditions to navigate what I feel. And so this model is really keeping us connected with our children as they learn these important life skills and these are skills they will use the rest of their lives.
1: Yeah, I love that. And the the thing that's running through my mind is actually something that we've been experiencing in our parenting just this week. Um, one area that our son is working on his maturity in is um, his organizational habits, right? Um, he's at the age where he's kind of having new responsibilities put on him and he's having to learn how to rise to them. But along the way, you know, he's making mistakes. So we had... The evening where the homework didn't make it home and he knew he was going to have to go back to class the next day unprepared and, and the tears just start coming down and he's just waiting for the hammer to drop at home and all that kind of thing. And we had to kind of do what you're talking about and I'm so glad that there's a resource like yours to teach us this just to... Uh, deal with his fears and emotions and his embarrassment and his regrets and everything before we try to tackle, well, what are we going to do different tomorrow to make sure the homework comes home? Um, because until we got the relationship right and his joy restored and his confidence restored, we aren't going to be able to affect any kind of change in those habits. Right?
3: Yeah, that's a perfect example. It really is. It's uh um, you can think about this as left brain versus right brain parenting. And that is left brain parents lead with problems, right brain parents lead with relationships. And so we want to develop most of us. If we have an undeveloped part of our brain, it's usually the right side. Okay. <laughs> and so we want to uh, develop these, these habits that's that so that we spontaneously and automatically do things like that. So when we see our kid is distressed, We deal with the distress before we deal with discipline. So there's a time to put problems first, and it's called a crisis. You know, so if your kid's about to step in front of a bus, you know, (laughs) you don't ask him how he feels about that first. You know, you you just you deal with the problem. Um, But if we deal with everything in our kids' lives, always problem first, then what we're doing Mm -hmm. is we're training them to teach everything in life like a crisis, and so what we want to do is, is help them to understand how to regulate their own emotions and on the basis of a regulated emotion, realize they're, they're going to make much better decisions about their problems once their emotions are under control. So helping them to, to learn to do that is huge and how you do that in infancy and childhood and adult uh, kids is, is quite different.
2: Yeah, that's right. And we really, we really unpack that in the book and, and, I quickly can see the times that I miss this with what Marcus is talking about, where the times I lead with a problem first with my children and a consistent response with my kids when I lead with the problem first is daddy you don't see me or daddy you don't hear me right now, um, common response when I start with the problem first children do not feel seen, heard, or understood. But when we start with the relationship first and then navigate the problem, they feel seen, heard, and understood. And now they're going to be in a really good position to learn whatever lesson we want them to learn. But when we start with the problem first, we're making the problem bigger than the relationship. And that creates just about the worst conditions for our children to learn something redemptive or valuable in that moment. So this is really, it's very practical, but Uh, the results are really magnificent when we start to practice this.
4: Hey there, friends. We're interrupting this episode to make sure you know about a wonderful parenting resource that is available for you. Rob and Joanna Tygan of Growing Home Together are the parents of five kids ranging in age from elementary school to high school to adult newlyweds. Over the years, they have learned how important it is to place their sons and daughters in God's hands and how the power of prayer can make such a difference in their children's lives. Powerful Prayers for Your Son and Powerful Prayers for Your Daughter are beautiful books that offer page after page of targeted prayers that cover every kind of challenge and hope your kids will face as they grow. Both of these books by Rob and Joanna Tigan are available for you at growinghometogether.com or wherever books are sold. Okay, friends, let's get back to the show.
0: I think Joanna and I are going to have to have five more kids so we can practice these <laughs> again. <laughs> but yes. um, but what I appreciate, but I think we have to remember, or at least I do, that 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 feels very countercultural. So you do have to lean into relationship because I think we're we're so taught to focus on the tasks and getting the tasks done and tasks at hand. And so I I I love how you've simplified this ABCD idea so that we can, um, put the relationship first, Mm -hmm. um, and not, but, but it, it does take a stopping and, and being intentional about that and doing some of these practices, because I think everything around us is telling us to focus on getting the tasks done instead of putting the relationship first. And you had mentioned a little bit about, um, kind of the different how we approach that is different with each kids and so we have five kids ages 27 down to 10 and so I am learning that yes parenting our young adults is much different than parenting our grade schoolers so can you maybe explain a little bit more about some of the key differences between parenting babies or kids or adults
3: yeah so the uh, you know at the infant level um, babies can't handle their emotions at all right? So we don't expect them to, they can't tell us what they're feeling. So when you, with babies, it's really easy to see. I have to attune to what my baby's body language is. Why are they fussing? Why are they whining? Are they happy? You know, Do they need a break? What's going on? Uh, it's all about attuning to what's going on in their life, reacting to that. And then when they are upset, I have to comfort them. I've got to do all of it, right? They cannot comfort themselves at all. So in the infant stage, you know, this is again, where I am doing everything for the baby so that the baby learns, uh, begins to learn these skills by seeing them modeled. Um, They're not learning any life lessons in infancy. (laughs) Okay. So we don't say, well, we need to let them cry it out so that they don't become spoiled. That's not going to happen. You can't spoil a baby. So the, uh, um, we go into the toddler years and what's happening in the toddler years, which we include in those infant years is that for the first time, their brain can go from feeling fear to feeling terror, you know, from feeling anger to feeling rage, right? They can feel really big emotions. So that's why we call them the terrible twos. So like right there around 18 months of age to about three years of age, they're experiencing extremely big emotions. So as parents, if we are problem first parents during the terrible twos, we're just going to be fighting constantly. So what we have to learn to do is to meet them, attune to the emotion that they're feeling, help them bounce back from that emotion, and then deal with, now, what's the right way to handle that emotion when it comes up? We correct third. Too often, we've, we've, we lead with it. And then as you get into the uh, child years, which are, uh, those are the years where I am now learning how to take care of myself. So in the infancy, somebody else is taking care of me. In the child years, I'm learning to take care of myself. So I go through potty training. I'm learning to feed myself. I'm learning to dress myself, right? But And as I go, I'm learning how to regulate my own emotions. So what I'm doing as a parent with my kids is I'm meeting them in their emotions. And now I'm helping them figure out what are the words that explain what I'm going through. How do I help them regulate themselves? So we call that co-regulation. We're working together with them. To teach them how to begin regulating themselves. And the goal is by the time they become adults, they've been recovering, you know, bouncing back from hard emotions over and over again for so long, it's pretty commonplace for them. And that makes that transition into the adult years at puberty much easier. If somebody hasn't learned these skills by the time they become adults, the reality is they're going to become addicted to something. It's just a question of what, Right. They're going to be stuck as infant, as emotional infants and emotional children, and they're they're going to lack the maturity and the capacity to deal with an adult world, and that's going to create all kinds of problems. And that's really the maturity crisis that we have in our our culture today. And that is we have a bunch of adults who have never successfully navigated the infant and child level tasks when it comes to. Um, learning emotional regulation. So there's a, a mouthful, but that's kind of the, the, the gist of the difference between the uh, three stages. Infants, we got to do it for them. Children, we're teaching them how to do it. Adults, we're kind of coaching them through the process of, of fixing their own problems.
2: That's right. Oh, good. I was just going to say as parents, we quickly realize the areas where we need a little bit of growth because I can remember when my infant was throwing a temper tantrum in that window that Marcus is talking about with the, the brain's amplifiers turned on. And so anger goes to rage. And I can remember that helpless feeling of wanting it to stop. And, you know, I could, I could handle it for a while, but then I would reach that point where I go, my brain goes, well, I don't quite know what to do here. And so it really helps to understand this, that as parents, we can also learn these important skills that we talk about in the book, and we can grow our joy so that we can better um, help our children be able to manage what they feel. Because at the end of the day, this is really about, can I manage what I feel? And so when our children are infants, we're helping them better manage what they feel because we're doing the work with them that Marcus talked about. We are doing the regulating. They're looking to us and they basically are saying, you show me what to do with what I feel. So I'm going to watch you and you show me. And for children, it's like, okay, let's do this together. And I can remember those times interacting with my children at the child stage. And you know, they they're learning how to do this on their own, but they're looking to us as the parents to kind of coach and guide them as they learn. And basically their brain is saying, hey, All right. Now, how do I stay myself while I feel this big feeling? And and that's what we're as parents, we're helping them to walk out. And then when our children become adults, now they're really the ones that's that's walking it out. We're there if they need them, but they're going to walk out what they've learned. And it's really helpful to have this lens, because at the end of the day, my brain has to learn how do I better manage what I feel? And as parents, where we find those places in our character that might need a little bit of help or some growth, we can connect with other parents. And hopefully, uh, we, you know, that's one of the reasons Marcus and I wrote this book, so that parents have a language for what's happening and what's needed so that they can also connect with other parents who possibly, um, you know, Joanna and Rob, you might ha- you have those skills where I don't. So I could spend time with you hearing your stories and how you handle the hard stuff, and that actually gives my brain some of the tools and resources to help me better navigate uh, the the journey at these different stages of life.
0: Yeah, that's that's encouraging um, because, uh, and it it's, your your book offers hope in that way. I think because I'm linking it as we talked earlier about maturity, and I know oftentimes we come in, and it's helpful to be able to say. Rather than getting anxious when my kids are dealing with something that maybe I don't want to deal with or don't know how to deal with. And so I, you know, all the warning signs go off and I react um, to say maybe there's areas where I wasn't taught and I didn't learn maturity. And your book gives practical steps that not only I can pass on to my kids, but that maybe I can be honest and say maybe I didn't didn't learn this growing up and I do need to mature in this area myself and I can help my kid mature as well in the process. So it's, it, it mm. gives, gives a lot of hope in that way.
2: Mm, it does.
3: It does.
1: Um, I was just thinking back to um, earlier in our conversation when you mentioned trauma and the connection between trauma and Uh, having someone present with you. And and I just have this memory flooding my head about when we were foster parents and we were taking care of this little baby. And I remember on the very first night that the baby was in our home, um, waking up hungry in the night in just such a completely hysterical and terrified Mm -hmm. state. And I was shocked at the level of emotion around just the simple problem of being hungry and so we noticed um that was night after night after night and then after about three weeks of consistently dropping everything and running to the crib and picking up the baby and providing the meal and the holding and the soothing and all of that all of that night fear and terror just sort of melted away and I was hoping that you could um maybe even help me understand what was going on there a little bit better and just talk about what is the impact of our physical presence with our kids.
3: You know, that's actually a uh, wonderful illustration of the exactly what we're talking about. So there's multiple things going on there. One of them is that it takes um, a brain about three weeks to four weeks to begin forming a new habit. So it took that much repetition for a brain that had been trained to feel terror when there wasn't food to begin to learn that, to, to feel like I'm going to be taken care of. And so part of it is, is that we think, oh, we do this once or twice and they'll figure it out. We don't understand that a part of their, of that foster child's brain literally didn't grow. And so it's going to take more than a couple of days for that part of the brain to grow. It's going to take weeks. It's going to take months, right? There's going to be um, traditionally uh, kids who are raised in, in, in orphanages don't get their, the relational bonding that they need. And so the relational circuitry in their brain is way underdeveloped. And so a lot of times we think, oh, I'm just gonna love on them and they're gonna, it's gonna flourish. But instead of my love being like rain falling on good soil, it's like my rain's falling on, on a rock. And it's because there are parts of their brain that have literally not developed yet. And so um, you were doing numerous things there to try to help them grow their capacity to stay relational when they felt hunger. And that was going to take more than one or two times that was going to take probably a good month. So that's partly what was going on there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and Marcus is exactly right. And, you know, the human brain has a bonding circuit and the bonding circuit is really the foundation for the relational brain. And so the bonding circuit, it basically says, when I have a need, I have a need now. So for infants you know, when they're hungry, when they want connection, they want a new diaper, whatever it is, they're cold. That bonding circuit turns on, turns on very brightly and loudly. And so as Marcus said, when things, when I don't get a predictable, a quick response, then what happens is my survival circuit kicks on. And my survival circuit says, if I don't get this Food now, I'm going to die. So when the survival circuit kicks on, it makes it brings a whole level of intensity to my needs. And so with the example that that you share, Joanna is uh, most likely there. There's the survival circuit that's overactive, that's working very hard, saying if if I don't get what I need now, I'm going to die. And it took that time, as Marcus said, to really allow the brain, there's there's a joy center in our brain that actually overrides the survival circuit, which is glorious. And so As that new pattern forms, the the joy center can override the survival circuit and say, hey, I'm going to be okay because I've learned now when I have this need, there's a quick response and I'm going to survive and it's going to be okay. So as we're building joy with our infants, we're also building security. And as that security develops, that is a security that will last a lifetime. And so, Joanna, in, in your case here, you were... You were building security when baby's bonding circuit was screaming, hey, I need something here. I'm hungry. I'm going to die if I don't get what I need. By being consistent and predictable, that trains the brain in these new habits that says, okay, this, this need is important, but I always get what I need. There's a response. And over time, that builds security. And where there's security, there's joy and there's peace and there's um, a connectedness that happens with children and parents.
1: I love that. And, you know, I think that that has to inform um parenting for us really at all ages and stages I think for me as a mom sometimes it's tempting uh, to look at my child's big emotion and just Mm -hmm. think oh you're overreacting or oh just settle down or oh you're honestly embarrassing me in public or whatever it might be so how does what you're saying um, teach us how to respond to kids emotions that we might not even understand yeah
3: that's a great point and that is a tune, that's why we always say always start with attuning. You can never go wrong by, by making sure that you're reading their body language first. So we have a, a simple tool that we use for helping kids uh, build bounce once you've uh, attuned and recognized what's going on and met them there. And it's VCR, and it is validate the emotion and then comfort them from the emotion so that they feel like they are um, back into a, a state that they can manage. So they've recovered. And so you, validation has two core elements to it. One is you're naming the emotion accurately that they're feeling and two, you're accurately naming how big it is. So like if your teenage child is like going, Oh, this is the worst thing ever. You know, this is terrible. Instead of saying, well, that's stupid. It's not that bad. You know, what validation says is so what you're telling me is you're feeling, you know, fear And it's like at a level eight, like you're afraid that if this doesn't happen, this is going to be the end of your social life as you know it. Um, And so the goal is to get them nodding their heads saying, yes, that is where I am at. You have correctly validated where I am. And so that's both naming the emotion accurately and how big it is for them. You don't have to agree that they should be feeling that emotion or that it should be that big, but you start by validating the fact that this is in fact where they're at. Then you go into comforting next. And so the, one of the biggest mistakes I find that, mo, that parents make when it comes to the attuning and building bounce is they skip validation and they go straight to trying to manage the problem. And so comforting is really about how do I make this problem smaller? And so one way I do it is to tell them, well, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to lose all your friends. This isn't going to happen. That, what's not going to happen makes the problem smaller. Then you offer them a new perspective. What if we look at it from this angle? And then you uh, help them develop a new plan. And by the time you've done that, their problem now feels more manageable and they can breathe and they're like, okay, I think I can handle this. I feel like myself again, I'm going to be okay. We call that recovery. Okay, so the, uh, we validate and we comfort to help them recover so they feel like themselves again and they feel like they can manage what's going on. So we do that over and over and over again, thousands of times with our kids throughout growing up. And by the time they get to be adults, Validation, comforting, and recovering should be habitual for them.
2: That's right. And and one of the common responses Marcus and I hear when we're teaching this is um sometimes as parents, we, we're afraid to validate because we're afraid it's going to make the problem worse. So instead of putting out the fire, we're afraid to validate it because it might be putting gasoline on a fire and making the reaction bigger. And what Marcus and I, you know, share is no when you validate, you're you're actually helping children to feel seen, heard and understood. And now that I'm feeling seen and heard and understood by you, now my my emotions aren't so big because I feel like you're with me in this. So validating is just saying what we see. Wow, you are really mad here. I see that. That creates a context for the comfort and for the recovery. And so even if it kind of feels like you know I'm afraid to validate this because I don't want to make it worse or make it bigger or they'll just do this more often or as Marcus mentioned earlier I'm afraid it'll spoil them oh no when we validate that's simply saying hey I see you and I hear that this is upset let we but but I'm with you and we're in this together and we're going to get through it and that instills the ability for me to say oh whenever I'm upset comfort's always around the corner instead of disconnection instead of abandonment instead of rejection the brain learns ah oh, big upsets just lead to good connections
1: yeah I love that that's really helpful and you know hey from talking to other moms um something that seems kind of universal is that we're pretty tough on ourselves you know uh, we wish we were more fun um I wish I was fun like. Like Rob, who writes the joke books and everything, he he corners the market on fun at our house. And, you know, I wish we were more organized or more health conscious or better spiritual teachers for our kids or whatever. But um, I was just hoping that you could leave parents today with a word of advice when they do feel like they're kind of falling down on the job, but they really want to take hold of joy for themselves that you're talking about in their parenting.
3: Yeah, that is a common thing, isn't it? We get down on ourselves pretty quickly because most of us, when it comes to maturity, there's always a gap, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a gap between where we know we could be and where we see ourselves functioning. And if my joy is dependent upon my performance, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so joy has to be based on my relationships. And that is, do I still love my kids? Yes. Do my kids still love me? Yes. Then I can find some joy, even if we're all messing up a whole bunch of stuff, (laughs) you know, and do I still love my husband or my wife, even though, you know, we're messing things up and not getting them all right. Yeah. That means I can still find joy is the God that I serve. Happy to see me even when I mess up. Right. So by having an understanding that my, my joy is related to my relationships and not to my, um, my performance is a big uh, you know first first step there and knowing that we all do fall short that that's that's part of the human existence is that there's always going to be a gap between how well i could have done something <laughs> and how well i did it for the most part and uh, but that's not my identity that's not who i am it doesn't define me and so you know part of the joy of life is learning how to be okay with each other when we're not perfect And, um, you know, so I would encourage people that that's not even the goal. Uh, The goal here is, uh, you know, it's like with my kids, I make, I I figure I can make a whole lot of mistakes with my kids. The one thing I don't want to do is lose my relational voice, right? I don't, I I don't want to um, lose the, their trust in me. And so I find that the fastest way to lose trust with my kids is to not, for them to not feel seen, heard, and understood. And so that's why we emphasize validating so much um, because I think it's one of the key things that, that helps us and and being quick to apologize and own it uh, when I'm not being what I ought to be and might not be uh, next week either. So (laughs) we're just gonna, uh, but, you know, still be happy to be together and we're in this together and let's just keep moving forward.
2: And that's right. That's so wise. And, and I hope that every parent can hear that. And, you know, I, I often tell parents just because you're, you would even feel like you're failing or you're a failure. Only a loving, caring parent would say something like that because you really want to do a good job with your children. Only a loving person would feel that way. And so I think we all can relate to what Marcus was saying and, and holding onto these, these words that, you know what, at the end of the day, If your children feels loved, you've, you've done it well. And so, and we want to use the opportunities to, to correct, to repair when we've messed up and just to remind our children that we do love them. It's been fun because when I've messed up with my kids, I'm, and I realize it, and sometimes they help me to realize it. um, I'll come back to them and I'll say, yeah, daddy, daddy really messed up there. And, and I might hear from one of my sons. That's okay, daddy. We still love you so you know at the end of the day we just we want our children to feel love love never fails as the bible tells us and so using our words and our actions to just convey hey even when we mess up i still love you will go a long way
0: yeah Uh, that's that's so encouraging and i I just I'm, i'm sitting here listening to this and and looking at at kind of the roadmap that you guys uh developed with this book and I'm just amazed at God because I, it just really, as you put the pieces together, God did wire our brains for relationship, you know, for relationship with him, for relationship with each other. And so, you know, my big takeaway with all the great stuff that you guys have been saying is to always put the relationship first. And and a lot of these things that we, practical th- steps we can take are to learn to build, uh, focus on the relationship and, uh, and put that first and we're not going to do that perfectly. But, um, so I just, as I sit here in amazement on how God has made us and wired us, um, I would love if one of you would be willing to pray for the parents listening who, uh, maybe want to start taking those steps towards joy with their kids right now.
2: Yeah, gladly. Uh, so heavenly father in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, you've created and called each and every parent out there. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that all of our parents would just hear the message that they are loved in your sight, Lord, and that they would see themselves and their families and their children through your eyes. And Lord, I do pray for the hope and the encouragement, the joy, the peace, all of these good things, Lord, to just be present in these parents in these families, Lord, that everyone would just enjoy your peace, and thank you, Lord, that you're always available to guide us, to speak to us. Thank you for your word, and I just pray, Lord, each and every parent would just have a sense of you being with them, delighting in them, and uh, just saying, well done, my good and faithful servants, and that reality would spill over uh, into their interactions with their children. Thank you, Jesus, for your tenderness to our weaknesses and your love and your truth we bless you today just pray your peace over all the parents who are listening today in jesus name amen
1: amen well marcus and chris i just know that everybody's going to want to learn more about you and take hold of your resources so where can we go to connect with each of you online
3: yeah i'm at deeperwalkinternational.org and chris is at thrivetoday.org and um those are probably the best places. You can find our book at Amazon. and uh, <laughs> But yeah, thrivetoday.org and deeperwalkinternational.org. Okay,
2: awesome. That's right.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that. And thank you, Marcus and Chris, for giving us uh, such great encourage, encouraging words today. We really appreciate your
3: time with us.
2: Thank you, friends. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's been fun
3: hanging out with you guys today.
1: Yeah, you too. And thank you, friends, for joining us today for the Growing Home Together podcast. We would love to connect with you over on our website at growinghometogether.com. We have a free download of fun activities to connect with your kids and all kinds of resources so you can laugh together and create memories and also pray for your kids and whatever they're going through. At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family.
0: And growing home together with you.
1: Bye. Thank you